0: G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for a 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week we hear the voices of apprentices as the Young Workers Centre gears up for its campaign for better outcomes for apprentices and we catch up with Will Strapp, Assistant Secretary at Victoria Trades Hall, as she joined other union women on the streets of Melbourne to talk about the pay gap for women on Unequal Pay Day on Monday the 29th of August. But first, some union news. The big news item is, of course, the Federal Government's Job Summit, scheduled for September the 1st and 2nd. It includes 100 hand-picked invitations with 30% to industry, 30% union and 10% civil society representatives. Despite some discussion about it being a new accord, reality has a much smaller remit. The Summit and subsequent Employment White Paper will focus on keeping unemployment low, boosting productivity and incomes, delivering secure and well-paid jobs and strong, sustainable wages growth, expanding employment opportunities for all Australians, including the most disadvantaged – Addressing skills shortages and getting our skills mix right over the long term. Improving migration settings to support higher productivity and wages. Maximising jobs and opportunities from renewable energy, tackling climate change. The digital economy, the care economy and a future made in Australia. And ensuring women have equal opportunities and equal pay the event is available via the parliamentary website New South Wales rail bus tram union stoppage last week saw a 4 hour stoppage of trains from midnight to 4am on Thursday the 28th of July to press the point that new south wales government's intention to remove guards from the new intercity fleet was an unacceptable safety risk This dispute has a long tail. In 2015, the new intercity fleet was ordered by the New South Wales Government as a driver-only train, meaning that it was operated by the driver without any person responsible for safety on board, relying solely on the CCTV system which has been proven to be flawed by an independent expert and the manufacturer of the trains themselves, says the union. Over the years, to this point, the government has tried to force the situation by a series of offers to increase driver's pay while reducing the wages and duties of guards. These bribes, as denoted by the union, have been refused by members who see safety as paramount. Rail, Tram and Bus Union RTBU New South Wales Secretary Alex Corson said that while the timing of the action means the public impact will be minimised, it is disappointing rail workers have been forced to take further action at all. The New South Wales Government is clearly attempting to compound two separate issues, the safety of the new intercity fleet and rail workers' wages and conditions, in an attempt to win some sort of political game, he said. We won't be bullied into accepting an inferior enterprise agreement in order to get safe trains on our network. Commuters and workers deserve safe trains and rail workers deserve fair wages and conditions. Still in New South Wales, the Nurses and Midwives Association, the NS. WNMA public sector members confirmed 94% in favour of strike action, which will start at 7 a.m. morning shift on the 1st of September and finish the following morning. The General Secretary, Shay Candish, said our members are angry and they are fed up with being ignored. We indicated to the New South Wales Government earlier this year that we needed an open and meaningful dialogue with them about safe staffing. We still don't have mandated nurse-to-patient ratios in our public hospitals or health facilities, and this is putting patients at risk, Miss Candish said. NSW NMA. Assistant General Secretary Michael Waits said both metropolitan and regional nurses and midwives were seriously overworked and the moral injury being reported was palpable, given the rising anger towards a system that's preventing proper patient care. There is growing evidence nurse-to-patient ratios do save lives and result in better patient outcomes and legislated ratios have already saved the Queensland Government millions of dollars, Mr Waite said. During the 24-hour strike, life-preserving services will be maintained in all public hospitals and health services. The New South Wales Nurses Midwifery Association also reiterated its ongoing willingness to meet the New South Wales Government to discuss members' ongoing concerns. In Victoria, action by the Independent Education Union, the IEU, covering the Catholic education sector, has made some headway in key demands for salary increases and reduced teaching hours, with 50 schools in the east of the state agreeing to change. Catholic school staff have been pushing for 15 months for a new four-year agreement, putting them on par with state school teachers, including 2% annual pay increases, a a 90-minute-a-week cut to classroom teaching time and increases in time in lieu for extra duties such as camps and parent-teacher interviews. The IEU, New South Wales ACT branch, is continuing to press for more teachers in the system by employing the use of a teachers shortage billboard truck, which will be touring New South Wales from Illawarra, Armidale, New South Wales, Tamworth, And other sites. Mark Northam, IEU New South Wales ACT Branch Secretary.
1: It's an important thing to take the message to the streets. We're campaigning right across New South Wales to drive home the message regarding teacher shortages and also our quest for pay parity for support staff in Catholic systemic schools. We're hoping the public gets behind us. We know our teachers and support staff are behind us and it's time Catholic employers and the New South Wales Government took on board the messaging that's behind me. Let's fix the shortage, let's get in the room and let's get it done.
0: In Queensland, cleaners at Brisbane Airport employed by Secure Corp and represented by the United Workers Union are taking industrial action to achieve fair pay, a safe workplace and respect.
1: It works like dogs. They have to do the workload of two people most of the time, and they've had enough. They want change. Secure Corp, the cleaning contractor here, puts these cleaners in harm's way every day, and they've had enough. They've had enough. They're not going to take it anymore. They're taking strike action because they deserve a livable wage. They deserve safe working conditions, and they deserve secure jobs. So these protests are going to be ongoing. We've got a plan to go right through the Christmas period. As this strike draws out, the airport's going to get dirtier. We've had travellers pass through here saying the toilets are in a terrible state. It's unfortunate that these, these members, they work their guts out, often doing the job of three or four people at a time. Secure Corp, big multinational cleaning company, They just care about profits. Brisbane Airport Corporation, rich and rude, we want them to do the right thing, step up, provide these cleaners with decent jobs. This is a problem at airports right across Australia, but Brisbane Airport Corporation is the real problem here. They're not prepared to step up and do the right thing. They treat these cleaners like dirt, and that's going to change. These cleaners are standing up. They've had enough. They're up for the fight. They're fighting for good jobs, secure jobs, they're fighting for respect, a workplace that's safe. So it's going to be a series of ongoing stoppages up until Christmas. We're not ruling out an indefinite stoppage. One thing for sure is this airport is going to get dirtier. It's going to be unclean. It's going to be unsafe for the travelling public. So at the end of the day, cleaners here get paid the minimum wage. The the airport could not pay these cleaners any less. We're asking for a reasonable increase in these times, 4% increase, plus a little extra for the inconvenience of working at the airport. Brisbane Airport is soon having a jobs expo. We say, come on Brisbane Airport, before you have a jobs expo, Actually live up to what you're saying to the public and create decent jobs here at the airport.
0: Also in Queensland, government carpenters, electricians, building engineers and plumbers will strike from September 1st to press pay claims as annual inflation of 7.3% bites into wages. The decision was taken at union meetings on Friday morning involving members of the Electrical Trades Union, Plumbers Union, the Australian Workers Union and the Australian Builders Construction Union, representing QBuild and Transport and Main Roads construction teams. Workers will walk off the job from midnight August 31st and rally outside the government's 1 William Street headquarters in Brisbane from 9am the following day. There could be several thousands at the rally by 9am, easily, one worker said. The duration of the protest strike action is unclear. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. In June, the Young Workers' Centre, an initiative of the Victorian Trades Hall, gained financial support from the Victorian Government to take the message of apprentice rights out to the community. We went to the launch of their campaign and heard from apprentices about their experiences at work and why they support the campaign. Okay, tell me who you are. Yep, my name's Jared Shires. Okay, and where do you work?
2: I work at Carlton United Breweries.
0: Okay, and you've got a story about being an apprentice.
2: I do, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I started my apprenticeship about 13 years ago as an electrical apprentice. Um, and actually it was interesting, that was when we were both in-house at... at, at um, yeah, the, all the maintenance force was was directly employed by CUB. Um, yeah, started my apprenticeship. Yeah, I was, to be honest, trying to get an electrical apprenticeship anywhere. I was happy to get an apprenticeship, just any kind of sparky job. And then couldn't believe that I got my job at um, CUB. And then three months into the apprenticeship, um, all maintenance force was told that we were all going to be sacked. Um, so that was nine apprentices, including and um, in another 100 um, maintenance pe- team. Um so yeah, that was to outsource. Outs- well, to be honest, um it was all trade at that point we weren't really sure. Um it was pretty clear that all apprentices weren't to come back at all. Um and yeah, basically um outsourced to um on a lot more inferior wages and conditions.
0: All right, so go ahead.
2: Yeah, so that was pretty um pretty horrible. You know, a great experience of getting a good apprenticeship to three months later thinking that it was all over. Um but luckily um it being a heavily unionised workplace, as it, as it was, um, the union stepped in and, and to say, "Well, keep apprentices out of this." It's between the um, the tradesmen and the company. So, luckily, the very next day, we were returned back to site. All the apprentices, nine of us, um, we went to a room to just continue with our schoolwork while the tradesmen set up a a, um, a picket line at the front. Um, about a month later, that got handled. of a, a, An agreement was made, um, and most of them got returned back to site. Um, Um, But, yeah, I guess coming from an apprentice story of just it was good to, you know, I was uh, 19 at the time, not knowing really anything about um, unionism or um, really just how this business works Um, and, yeah, to to be reassured by the – I was a union member at that point in time but – I was always going to be, but, um, but to know that you know, they were going to look after me no matter what anyway, um, and to, to, yeah, keep the apprentices out of it, you know, that, that's, you know that's what I'm here for today for the, um, for the apprentice forum, to to ensure that apprentices, um, yeah, my, my story of just being um, one of the lucky ones of getting a good apprenticeship at a unionised workplace where um, a lot of people aren't as lucky as I am. Um, if that was anywhere else, I would have been trying to look for my apprenticeship again. Um, that was
0: a bit of an aha moment for you. It, it
2: absolutely was, yeah, a big aha moment. of um, Yeah, I can't at the brewery hear the stories of the um, strikes of Christmas, you know, even I could remember then, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty big awakening for three months into the apprenticeship knowing that I was in that situation. And not to... Um, yeah, we, the workers were put in that situation. We weren't um, going to... Um, and negotiate. We weren't making any action of, of trying to get better pay in that. It was just no. It was it was union busting. That's exactly what it was. Um, but to to be as fresh as I was and not to understand how to deal with this for the union to um, be to you and AMW at that time to to, to look after us and just to say that nah, this is between the. Um, the maintenance workforce and the company, um, and for the apprentice to, to to be looked after, that was two thousand and nine um, and then a few more years later something bigger happened but um, but yeah
3: so why are you so passionate about the young worker center's apprenticeship campaign
2: yeah I, I think it 's because um, I had such a good apprenticeship um, i 've heard so many stories of. People, you know, if it's not hairdressers, bakers, electricians, plumbers, um, being a completely different story and knowing how lucky I was having a good apprenticeship but, but knowing why my apprenticeship was good and just luckily enough to be in a unionised workplace um, and to be looked after but but these smaller places that's a lot harder and, and that's where I think we need to have a campaign which is what we're here to, for today to, to really start that of just doesn't matter if you're one apprentice at a small company at a little bakery or a little hairdresser and that it, it should be the same we need some legislation to, to ensure good apprenticeships for, for everyone.
3: And
4: what's at stake for these young workers when they are being exploited, underpaid, abused in all these different ways that we're hearing about? Yeah,
2: everything. Like um, now, I'm a qualified electrician. I've got skills as a Sparky to um, be confident in what I can, what I do. Um, but as an apprentice, when you whatever trade you're learning, you're there to learn that trade, aren't you? Um, so. You're extremely vulnerable as an apprentice in that way. Of, of um, you need to learn that that, that trade and those skills. Um, so even in in your third year, in that you've still got a fair bit to learn to get through that. And yeah, you, you're going to be put into. Unfortunately, if your boss says to do this, if you feel it's unsafe, it's very hard to say otherwise because it's you're you you do not have as much confidence as as you do when you're fully qualified, you know, in your trade. So. Um, yeah, we've heard the stories, we know um, 26% of um, all apprentices receive bullying at some point in their apprenticeship, and I think um, less than half end up completing their apprenticeship in Victoria, and yeah, that makes
5: us a lot <laughs>
3: Hello, my name is Alia, and I was an apprentice studying commercial poetry from 2018 to 2020. I'm here tonight to emphasise why we desperately need change in the Australian apprenticeship system. The power dynamic was poisonous. It crept into every corner of my job. It facilitated workplace abuse and as an apprentice I felt isolated, worthless and completely powerless. Most mornings I would vomit up bile from the extreme anxiety another workday would bring. During my time as an apprentice, I worked for three different employers. Each time I left one employer, I hoped against hope that the next would be better. Somewhere that I would be provided training, opportunities to learn and grow as a chef. That did not happen. My job was unofficially a half price chef to party, and I was paid between $12 an hour in my first year and $14 an hour in my second. This was only in 2018 to 2020, remember? This was perfectly legal. One of my last breaking points was when I worked a 70-hour week for $1,000 before tax. Being abused makes you accept many breaking points. Makes you think they're normal. Crying every day from stress becomes normal. Crying when you realize you can't afford to live on a five-day work week does too. Getting screamed at, I got electrocuted at work, um, being sent home to deal with workplace injury, using horrifyingly unsafe equipment, sexual harassment and sexual abuse becomes normal too. Being ignored for three days because I needed surgery at an inconvenient time was normal. You uh, You internalize it all and you believe it's routine, and that the problem is you. This is the reality of an Australian apprentice. This was my normal. And the ASOs, you couldn't reach out to them because their workloads were so large. One of them pulled up their phone contacts and said that they don't have time for me and she scrolled down thousands of apprentices' names fact is that every every apprentice deserves to be respected at work. The system is broken and it has to change. Thank you all for taking the time to come tonight.
0: Also, uh, using apprentices for low-paid work.
2: Yeah, yeah, th- th- that's right. We know it's um, it's about exploitation, isn't it? Um, people, um, companies, sole traders, whatever they may be, are putting on apprentices for that exploitation. It's cheap labour. Um, we need regulation to ensure that they must be um, getting that on-job training that, that, to learn that trait, whatever that may be. Um, yeah, um, we don't have the answers just yet, but um, I'm sure we can collectively come up together and, and think of some things to, to improve apprenticeships for every, everyone.
0: You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The pay gap, where Australian women continue to find themselves shortchanged for their work, was the focus of a group of union women on Monday, August 29th, on Melbourne streets. Dubbed Unequal Pay Day, they offered passes by a calculator which shows the average difference between the monetary outcome between pay for women and men. Over a working lifetime, this places women in a potentially insecure old age. We spoke to Will Struck, Assistant Secretary at Victoria Trades Hall, as she joined the action. So, Will, I want to talk to you about unequal pay for women yeah unequal payday
4: (laughs) yes tell us about it so um this is the day that it takes the average woman to catch up to the average man in terms of salary at the end of the financial year so it's about 60 days that it takes so currently the pay gap is about 14.1 percent but of course in real terms it's much bigger than that because that is calculated on the basis as if everybody works full-time But women are more likely to be in casual or part-time employment because workplaces are very inflexible and so the real pay gap is much bigger.
0: And this, of course, has uh, long-term effects on people's outcomes as they get older.
4: Absolutely. The fastest-growing cohort of people facing homelessness is now older women facing retirement.
0: And the next thing, of course, is the undervaluing of feminised industries.
4: Yeah, we don't do very well at measuring... um, the skills that are required to do care work. There's a kind of assumption that it's just an extension of women's work at home, and so we don't properly value people who do disability care or age care or child care or any of those kinds of jobs. This is to do with the
0: way our society is fundamentally arranged, valuing hard hat jobs, really.
4: I, th- I think that's right. I mean, essentially, if you think about it, the patriarchy is a system of Uh, laws and ways of being that's been handed down to us all of us men and women and and others so it's been handed down to us and it hasn't really adapted to the way that we are now and so really what we're saying is we need to update the systems so that they properly reflect how we understand our society works and how we understand the world of work is and just generally the kind of society that we want to be. So
0: historically historically Uh, This battle's been going on for a while because women have reassessed their role in society. But COVID really brought this to the fore, didn't it?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, COVID told us and showed us, first off, that um, it's lots of the women were on the front line of the kind of services to keep us functioning. And uh, lots of women who still, we still carry the um, overwhelming burden of uh, the undervalued Unpaid work of caring for families and kids, and that was exacerbated during COVID. So it's kind of shown us what the impact is. Yeah, broadly, I think there's been a it's been a long-term process of reassessment around what our roles are and how we want to be as a society. And we really need to fix this.
0: It's more than that, really, isn't it? Because it it will bring the economy to its knees if this care of community isn't actually addressed as being an important issue?
4: Well, I mean, we already have a shortage of workers, right, in those sectors. We can't get them, we can't keep them, because... um, it, it's abusive. It, oh, it, it used to, it's always been this idea that um, people do that work because of they love the work, right? And of course that's important. They do love the work. But you've got to do it for love and money. People have to get a, a wage out of it that means that they can build a future, that they can think about um, buying a house and having kids and all of that. And at the moment, those jobs just don't pay that.
0: Talking to people that I've known who've worked in aged care, they, you're talking about things like the time and motion studies that were uh, put into place in this uh, sort of sector where they were given 10 minutes for each yeah. shower, which is just unconscionable. Yeah.
4: It, it's really that model of... Um, uh, Privatisation and neoliberalism. That's, that's what that's you're what looking for, right? For. Yeah, 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 that's what you're looking for, absolutely. Privatisation, I think, we would say has, has been a very... Particularly if you think about um, early childhood education and care is the same, right? The privatisation has been a model whereby now we end up with some of the most expensive childcare in the world, and yet our early childhood educators are some of our, predominantly women, are some of our lowest paid workers. There is something fundamentally wrong with that model.
0: So what's happening today down down on uh, uh, Swanston Street?
4: So we've got these nifty little scratches that we can people can guess what they think the pay gap is, and then you scratch it off, and what you see is um, what the number is. And then there's a bit of information there about um, gender inequality and particularly around the equal pay gap and why that's there. So um, And then people can also use... We've got a little QR code because we're very modern. We have a QR code, and that takes you to a calculator that lets you work out what it means for you. It's a broad brush thing, but it also kind of shows you... Um, things like the intersectionality of the gender pay gap, which says that, for instance, First Nations women, women of color, women with disabilities, LGBTIQ plus women, um, um, the gap is more likely to be is, is bigger right because of the compounding kind of factors in our society. So um, you can go to that and you can check out to see what your pay gap is. So people people would find this confusing because, you know, there's
0: there's this whole idea that we're all running our own race. We started a a line and we run. And if
4: you're not fast enough, then you don't win. Um, But it's more complicated. Oh, absolutely. There are the, the systemic barriers in place mean that women start the starting line further behind, burdened by a whole lot of um, assumptions around what, we, what women's work is, around how that should be valued. So they start behind the line and then as they go over their lifetime, that continues, that's worse. And then if you think about, as I said, women of colour, for instance, their starting line is even further back because they have to deal with that. So um, women never make up that gap. Time for change. Absolutely, time for change.
0: That's it for Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us at sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news and remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. Stay safe and stick together.
5: Life is much too short to sit and wonder Who's gonna make the next move And will slowly pull you under When you've always got something to prove I don't want to wait a lifetime Yours or mine Yours or mine Can't you see me reaching for the lifeline Your lifeline Your life. Life You say that I misheard you, but I think you misspoke I hear you laugh so loudly. While I patiently await the joke I don't want to wait a lifetime Not yours Not mine Can't you see me reaching for the lifeline the lifeline The lifeline only victims, we're all laid out in a row, and it's hardest to listen to what we already should know. I could hold out for a lifetime Yours or mine, yours and mine Can't you see me reaching for your lifeline